International Broadcasting lives on 5080. Now grab your glass and get ready to fill it up with some radio on the rocks. Vehicles pitching downrange. Here in the Digicom Cafe Communications Network, we are all about the power of voice. Did you know that you could listen to my cafe cast by simply asking Alexa to play Radio on the Rocks? And that you could maneuver your way around my cafe cast library by simply saying next or previous? I created this Amazon skill using a free and easy platform called VoiceFlow, where you just build your skill block by block, no coding necessary. If you'd like to build your amateur radio skill, go to voiceflow.com. That's voiceflow.com. WD9GET K5DCC Echo Mike 36. Hey, thanks for uh, working me on the bird yesterday. And K5DCC from WD9GET Echo Lima 29er. Yeah, <laughs> great to see you there. I'd love to get the uh, QSL through LOTW for you, though. Oh, no problem. I, I'm not a paper chaser, so it's not a big deal. I try and post them for uh-huh. everybody else, but uh, I just love meeting people, and I've met so many interesting people on the satellite side of amateur radio and when I logged them I usually looked them up on QRZ like I did for you had no idea in the world who you were a new call to me and I thought wow this is impressive in his uh, bio here on QRZ so I couldn't help but send you an email and ask you to be my guest and hear your story and as you know what I what we do here in the cafe is feature hams of all ages from all over the world and get to know more about their story and how they got into this wonderful hobby Oh, very good. Um, I got my start in ham radio uh, back in the late 70s, and my brother uh, is responsible for that. Uh, he didn't get his license till quite a bit ways after mine, but uh, one day he came through the uh, house and threw me a cassette tape and said, here, this will keep you busy for a while. So I, I put the tape on, and sure enough, it was, uh, hello, I'm Wayne Green, W2NSD, and I'm here to teach you the International Morse Code. That, on top of uh, my experience with the uh, 4-H program, uh, which I had uh, done a lot of uh, work in the electronics area and growing up on a farm, a lot of the livestock and uh, farming aspects of it. But uh, that gave me a lot of fodder for uh, the electronics projects, especially in the years of Heathkit being a a big dog at the time. And I made lots and lots and lots of uh, Heathkits along the way. And uh, including my uh, Hot Water 101, the uh, venerable HW101 uh, transmitter that um, I've got sitting here in front of me in the shack, not operational, but it's uh, great memories to uh, see that rig and remember everything I did with that back in the day. Really, uh, ham radio, I can't say it did much in uh, directing my uh, career path. Uh, I was interested in uh, veterinary medicine, actually, from my farm background. And growing up in Indiana, I uh, went to uh, Purdue University 
and uh, was in the animal science program. And during my early college years, I found an emergency medical technician course at the local hospital and uh, signed up for it and took it and began getting more interested in the human side of medicine rather than the uh, animal side. Um, finished up my uh, bachelor's at Purdue and uh, stayed on in a graduate program, getting a, a master's in animal science in the area of uh, physiology, and then got into med school at Indiana University in uh, Indianapolis uh, and stayed uh, in that area for my residency in family medicine at uh, Community Hospitals of Indianapolis. During that uh, late med school and uh, residency, I had uh, joined the National Guard. Uh, my dad brother were both uh, in the military, uh, did a stint in there, but not career. But I signed up for that as a part-timer. And um, one of the first things I did when I hit my residency program was uh, got uh, accepted into the U.S. Air Force School of Aerospace Medicine's flight surgeon program, which was a uh, six-week program uh, down at Brooks Air Force Base in San Antonio, which uh, goes through all the aerospace physiology and the uh, all the rules and regulations, uh, the medical requirements uh, for the pilots and anybody that flies in the aircraft. And that was fun. I, I enjoyed doing that on the weekend warrior basis. And after I finished residency, I went to a uh, small private practice, uh, group practice in uh, Newcastle, Indiana, which was uh, the area where I grew up. However, uh, Things weren't going too well in that practice. They were having uh, some financial issues. I was on as a uh, contract hire, and they said, well, you were the last guy we hired in, so uh, you're going to be the first guy we have to let go. So I'd been enjoying thoroughly the aerospace medicine side of things as a part-timer, so I said, well, let's do that full-time. So as my wife says, uh, September 1995, I ran away from home and joined the Air Force. <laughs> Went to uh, Dover, Delaware, spent a couple of years there, and then got accepted into the uh, Air Force Residency in Aerospace Medicine. And that's a, a three-year program that included a, a Master of Public Health, a year of doing aerospace medicine, a year of doing uh, preventive medicine. And from there, I, I went on and finished out um, a total federal military service time of about 28 years uh, in the Air Force and uh, moved all around the U.S., never did any outside the, uh, the U.S. type assignments. Those all made it uh, rather difficult to do ham radio because when you're moving around that much, it's hard to get a uh, permanent installation. So for the most part, I had 100 watts and uh, whatever kind of a wire I could uh, string up and <laughs> tune up somewhere. A lot of uh, VHF, UHF, uh, I enjoy public service. I really enjoy doing Skywarn so I could get involved with uh, those type of things as I went on. But one of the um, assignments that I had, and it's starting in 2004, is I got assigned to NASA's Johnson Space Center as the uh, Air Force liaison uh, to uh, NASA. And that just rolled me in as another one of the flight surgeons uh, down here doing space missions at the time. So shuttle is still going strong. Um, I was deputy for uh, the shuttle mission that took up the uh, Kibo module, uh, STS-124. And um, then I also did the uh, STS-400, which is the mission probably nobody's heard of. That was the rescue mission for the Hubble, uh, where I they did the last that. Hubble repair. Yeah, they had to have two shuttles on the pad because we had to make sure if something happened that to that shuttle mission, we had a rescue going on. So I was the dock in charge of the medical side of the rescue mission. 
which made me a deputy basically for that Hubble repair mission. In fact, if you watch the uh, IMAX Hubble repair video, I've got uh, maybe a whole five seconds on the screen in that video. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my claim to not so much fame. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. I managed to pull out five years, though, of that. I also did um, uh, an ISS expedition, uh, Expedition 13, with Jeff Williams. And that was my uh, first contact with the space station, is uh, a scheduled contact with my crew member during that mission. And then um, actually got a random contact in there with uh, Bill MacArthur uh, during that time, too, just driving down the road. Heard Bill come on and identify on the downlink on, uh, from the ISS and uh, worked him from the truck. So that was quite the surprise. Hmm. So uh, I, let's see. From there, I went back to the Air Force, had another seven and a half years to retirement. And when I retired, I came back to uh, the Johnson Space Center. I'm down here as a uh, contractor uh, working uh, what I did before, basically just uh, working the space missions. So you were in relationship with a lot of the astronauts and stuff then? You were like their doctor? As flight surgeons, we worked very closely with the crew members, uh, where they're personal physicians. Uh, on one side, uh, we're working anything medical that has to do with the mission. A lot of health and safety issues. A lot of it's paperwork and going to meetings. But we get to do a lot of the uh, training activities. Um, when I was active military, I could go flying with the crew members, and that was really great because the shuttle did a lot of the uh, shuttle training aircraft, which had the uh, the small business jet that was mocked up to uh, fly like the uh, space shuttle. So I could go out flying the T-38 out to El Paso, uh, get in that aircraft, fly with them up to White Sands to shoot approaches out there and then fly back. So that was some excellent time. Uh, that's Those days are kind of gone now with the uh, cutback in the number of planes and pilots. And being on the contract side, they don't let us fly. Even the, uh, the civil servants aren't getting to do much of that anymore just with the conditions the way they are. But great way to get to know your uh, crews. Um, in the contract position I'm in, we also support crew training over in Russia. So Star City, the Gagarin, the Cosmonaut Training Center on the northeast side of uh, Moscow is uh, where they do all the training on the uh, Russian part of the space station. So I spend typically two, three months a year in Russia supporting those training activities. And when we're over there, we're basically living full-time with the astronauts, going attending the, the training activities during the day. At the night, uh, we usually have a communal dinner and everybody gets together. Somebody uh, cooks for everybody else and we get to sit around the fire and uh, have a cool beverage and just uh, (laughs) discuss whatever. So it's a great way to get to know our crews. Very interesting. Well, talking about uh, conditions, we're in some very interesting conditions now with COVID. Has that affected life on uh, the NASA uh, grounds there, working with astronauts and all the activities? Yeah, we're uh, NASA's Johnson Space Center anyway is pretty much shut down as far as people working on site. Mission control has to keep going, but it, that's been pared down just the minimum number of people that have to be in there. I, I just uh, completed working a mission. I uh, was the lead uh, crew surgeon for uh, Jessica Mir that just got back. And, of course, that's when everything blew up was during this mission. So we went from planning a very nominal landing program to having to come up with some very creative ideas on how to get to our crew members and how to get them back without getting any of us exposed to anything along the way. And it was really made difficult by having to deal with numerous 
governmental agencies uh, from different countries and restrictions in getting in and out of all the countries that we needed to get in and out of. Um, and we wound up having to take uh, one of our NASA uh, G5 business jets over and just go direct into Kazakhstan, which is something we typically don't do, and pick up our crew member and then fly directly back. And um, all the while trying to make sure everybody that had contact with the crew had been tested and quarantined and isolated and proper masking. And uh, it was quite the interesting landing scenario, something we had never done before, and I hope we never have to do it again. Wow. Well, being a doctor, what are your uh, thoughts and insights on this COVID? Uh, How serious is it? (sighs) I wish I knew. Uh, It's been so politicized that the data is really getting heavily filtered as it comes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the numbers that are being thrown out aren't being put in the proper perspective. I mean, I'm watching the numbers as they come out from numerous sites, but they don't have denominator data. They'll say how many people are positive, but we don't know how many people in the actual population that means. Um, There's certainly been a lot of uh, allegations that hospitals are are better reimbursed if they have a COVID diagnosis, so that may be pushing over diagnosis. I'm not in that type of practice, so I have no idea if that's really happening or not, but you hear about it. So I, I just have a, a real strong question on if the data I'm seeing is actually really accurate or not. So on the good side, I think we're seeing, uh, like down here in Texas, we've been uh, opening things back up now for the last couple of weeks and have not seen any major increases in the number of cases we're seeing. Uh, I know there have been a few uh, centers where that has uh, been the opposite picture, where they've opened things up, people have gotten together and um, spread it even more. But again, is that a question of it actually spreading, or is that the way they're testing? Uh, There's just a lot of question marks on that. I I don't think we're going to have the real answer on what happened and what we should have done for several years uh, after we researched the data a little bit more and, and look at it with our 2020 hindsight. Yep, and like you say, things are so politicized that everybody's afraid to say anything or take any stand on any side of the issue. But as uh, as far as the disease goes, it sounds to me like, and I'm not a doctor, uh, but I'm hearing stories of people that have had it, and it sounds awful. There are people that certainly are young, healthy, and in a matter of hours are on a ventilator and die. Uh, but I think probably that's the minority of cases. Those are the terrible ones, the ones we hate to hear about, and they're the ones that make the news. Um, I think we have a lot higher percentage of people there that get it and may not have any symptoms at all or just a mild cold going on. So sure. I think it's probably more on that side that it's a, uh, a mild disease for the vast majority of people, but the few that it does attack, well, just like the flu, the few that it does uh, – attack really hard are uh, in dire straits with it and a good number of those have died but right um, yeah like you uh, say you've got to put it in perspective with everything else you know this is all we hear about covid 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 Mm -hmm. a lot of people die of a lot of other things and we we don't talk about that yeah and uh it shut down our medical system so routine care is not getting done and that's finally starting to open up uh my wife got in for a um a more or less routine appointment today so that's getting easier to do now so um but we can't ignore the people with chronic illnesses the uh, screening for cancers 
um, the things that we normally do to keep people healthy and take care of them that haven't been done over the past couple of months. Yep, well, that's for sure. And the sad part now is that it sounds like a lot of family members can't even go in with their spouse for appointments anymore. And that uh, yeah, that's that's still true. I I couldn't go with my wife today to her appointment. So I hope that, and that's really bad. I, yeah. uh, parents can go in with kids, or at least one parent they'll let go. But uh, uh, that's that's been a real tragedy because taking care of people is not just giving them the right pill or the right IV. It's also taking care of them mentally, spiritually, uh, the whole body. Exactly. The whole person aspect. Yeah. Well, getting back to amateur radio, uh, the thought came to my mind was uh, your involvement with NASA and space programs and things. Did that have anything to do with you getting into satellites in amateur radio? Uh I've kind of been a space geek since I was a little kid, hmm. so I think the satellite interest has uh, always been there. But it's it's been rather of a uh, uh, taking a big station in the past to really get uh, a usable satellite station. So I got my aero antenna oh sometime in early two thousand two thousand three time frame, and that was probably my first contacts. But even then, it was uh, a little bit more difficult. Um, I, I think one of the first things I did satellite-wise was when Owen Garriott uh, did his mission uh, back in 1983. Um, that was when I got real interested in trying to do tracking. At the time, it was my TRS-80 Model 1, uh, getting the satellite tracking system up for that. Uh, we did try to work them from the uh, club station of Purdue, and we really thought we heard them give our call sign coming back, buried mm-hmm. in the noise, but... We didn't make it on the logs, but we did get on the headlines of the uh, school paper anyway for uh, doing it. It's turned out uh, not as good as we thought, but uh, that was really a big boost to it. Um, and I really didn't get my satellite system up and running till well, maybe six months or so ago where I've got now uh, the automated uh, Yesu rotor system, azimuth elevation, uh, using SAP-PC32 to track and uh, actually getting set up to where I've got a uh, fairly decent station that I can work with the FM birds and the uh, linear transponders. Uh, you're way ahead of me. I don't know if I'll ever get into that, uh, that linear stuff. I like to listen to it with my D74 or maybe on my IC746 Pro here in the vertical, but to actually get the whole system set up with uh, all the antennas and rotors and computer control stuff, I don't know if I'll ever get into that. But you and I worked on a real easy one. I think it was AO92. Yeah, we were on 92 yesterday. Um, looks like we've got uh, PO101 up right now. I hear my rotor clicking on it anyway. That's right. Yours uh, is no, all automated, isn't it? Yet. Yeah, so that, that I'll set it up for a uh, satellite, and then when I hear the rotor clicking, that's my, uh, my cue to start paying attention to it. And actually, the uh, PO101... Yeah, it's coming up here in 17 minutes. I listened to that one yesterday, and I had not worked that one before. And it sounded beautiful. It was hardly anybody on it, so right. you could work very easily. And Unfortunately, the FM birds are getting to the point now where if you've just got the handheld antenna and 5 watts, it's next to impossible to get in just because of the number of people. It's a major DX pileup on yep. every pass. And yep. with people being home, not... Uh, at work, uh, they've got a lot more access to going out and doing satellite contacts. So pretty much every satellite contact sounds like a weekend pass. Exactly. Well, that's what I started out with was just AO91 and 92. 
I had no luck with SO50. Uh, when PO101 opened up, uh, that quickly became my favorite. Not very crowded. Uh, it does take a little bit more power to get into it. Uh, good, but the audio is excellent. What What's your favorite birds? Yeah, I tried to get PO. The problem with PO101 yesterday is I didn't have the PL set up right, and the TS2000, which is uh, the rig I use for the satellite work, is weird on the way the PL works for it in the documentation. On Fat PC32, it says the last digit is needed by the TS2000. It doesn't tell you what digit to put in there. It took mm -hmm. me a while. I figured it out, and then the only pass I've had since then was at two in the morning, so I didn't get up to try to do that one. <laughs> um, I have found the uh, the Chinese linear satellites seem to be the uh, easier ones to work. I like the linears because they're not as crowded. And it's a little more difficult to find yourself on it. But once you're, you're, you don't have that DX pileup type of feel, you can get a little bit more of a relaxed QSO on there. You can do the quick one if you need to, but uh, you don't feel as rushed as you do on the uh, FM satellites. So that's the XWCAS? The XW series, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, those seem to be really good satellites, easy to get into, and. Uh, very workable birds, and there's, uh, they're they're kind of clustered in orbit, so you can go from one to the other. Yep. Uh, do you find that the uh, VHF downlink is a lot better than the UHF downlink? I don't seem to see a lot of difference. You I can go okay. either way, and uh, it, it's it's really in a lot of ways transparent to me because everything's programmed in. Mm -hmm. I say, go to that satellite. I work it. I don't pay a lot of attention to which is the uplink, which is the downlink right. because my computer's taking care of the Doppler. The pointing's uh, taking care of automatically. I just work it. So I, I can concentrate more on the operating right. and less on the details. But I've had good luck with either way, whether it's a VHF up or UHF up, either one. Well, probably because your antennas are a little bit better than just an arrow, aren't they? Yeah, I've got a um, two meter, eleven element that I'm Ooh. using, uh, <laughs> vertical polarized, and then uh, my 440 is also a, an eleven element that was a homebrew antenna that uh, I built specifically for this. So it's fairly narrow in its um, its bandwidth, but uh, it seems to do a good job on the satellites. Yeah. So is your system kind of a circularly polarized array? No, it's strictly uh, vertical, and that uh, I was getting a lot of fading with it. You've got to wait till the fade goes away, right. and as soon as signals start coming up, then you can really start uh, trying to get in and work people. I suppose but, you can uh, you get just gotta be patient for that too, can you? Um, it's not for the circular polarization. It's more of a phasing. I'd have to do uh, crossed elements, okay. and then a uh, a phasing uh, harness on them, and then. If you want to go right-hand versus left-hand, switching back and forth, then there's another set of phasing harnesses and a switch you'd have to work into it. And I, I Most people say it's really not worth that effort. Right. Well, it's a lot of money, too. Yeah. Yeah, not not as much as the initial investment of getting the uh, rotor and everything set up, but right. another run of coax and um, yeah. uh, remote switching system. A lot of people don't know much about this, have no idea what it costs. So if someone wanted to get set up for linears with the rotors and uh, the different antennas and everything, what's a typical ballpark investment you'd have to make, along with the radio and the computer controller? Yeah, and yeah the radio, of course, the uh, TS-2000 was uh, one of the older go-to radios. That's why I bought it 10 years or so ago, is because I really wanted to get 
the satellite system set up, but it took me that long to actually get it going. Now I think I'd go with the IC9700 on the radio side of it. It uh, has it was designed with the uh, satellites in mind, and it's usable with the uh, controller software. The rotor's a pretty good chunk. That's usually going to, if you buy them new, it's in, the, I believe, the $750 range for uh, the Yesus. Um, with, and then, of course, you can go up from there. If you go to the Alpha Spids, those are going to be quite a bit more expensive. Um, there's a uh, system from uh, Satnogs that uh, you can 3D print some of the components. That's a lot less expensive, but it's also not as durable. So mounting it outside in all weather conditions and any kind of uh, heavyweight antennas is probably not going to fly much. So so there's another uh, almost $1,000 you're going to have to put in that. The antennas... Uh, if you're an AMSAT member, they've got a little bit of a discount on the M-squared antennas that you can get, but those are still a few hundred dollars to get that system, or you can build your own. It didn't cost me that much to build that 440 antenna. So just like anything else, it's going to take an investment to get it going. You're, you're talking probably a couple grand, two to three grand to get your satellite system up just uh, as an isolated satellite radio. Yeah, not to mention the radio itself, which I think the – Ninety-seven hundred is what uh, three thousand or something? Or oh no, it's 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 fifteen hundred. Oh, it's down. Okay, good. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, people that aren't hams, they look at us and they they <laughs> they think we're nuts. Why would you want to do that and spend that much money just to exchange a call sign in a grid square? But they don't understand. There's so much more behind amateur communications in space. Than what meets the eye. I mean, it's understanding the the science behind it and knowing the distances and and uh, maybe chasing the paper, getting the awards. It's just it's a fun hobby. And there's so much you can do with it. Uh, if you get tired of doing one aspect of it, you can switch over and do something else. Yeah. So, what is your favorite <laughs> mode of amateur radio? Um. Hard to say. I, I do operate quite a few things. Uh, I do a lot of uh, just local FM work. Um, I really like the public as- service aspect of it. So that's the most practical side is just your uh, standard two-meter handheld is uh, probably the one that I, I get the most mileage out of. Though I'm also on HF uh, daily. Mm-hmm. I check into the uh, local traffic net every day. I uh, I'm a, a Mars member, so I do Mars frequently. Um, so I, I don't know that I, I can really say I have <laughs> a favorite, but my most used modes would be uh, VHF or UHF FM and uh, sideband on the low bands. Do you get into digital, DMR, D-Star? If you I do. do you? I do. I, I am a big D-Star fan. Okay. Uh, I've had d-star now for about three years started out with the uh, icom handheld that uh, picked up the uh, kenwood thd 74 when it came out oh you got those too <laughs> i absolutely love that radio. oh i love that radio i i had the older uh, kenwood uh, thf 6a mm-hmm. uh, and that was my my workhorse radio just that really small size tri-band just loved it and they've kind of done the same thing with the d74 just add d-star to it Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have DMR because that's the popular mode in this area. So almost everybody's on D- DMR. Uh, so I do have an Anytone radio for that. And I just uh, 
a few months ago picked up the uh, Yesu so I could experiment with Fusion, but after playing with them all, I, I think D-Star is it's designed for ham radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's actually the easiest one. There are some quirks to it, like all of them, but I think it's really the easiest, most straightforward system to use. And I've really enjoyed it. I, I'm on uh, 30 Charlie a lot, uh, mostly listening, but uh, that's where I hang out when I'm on uh, my, my D-Star. Yeah, it's either 1 Charlie or 30 Charlie for me, too, except lately I've been uh, listening to 56B. I don't know if you've ever checked into the Kentucky D-Star net, but that's an excellent net. They usually get uh, okay. 80 or more. It's on a Thursday evening around 6 o'clock Central. But uh, one of the SAT friends well, is uh, Net Control and does a great job. So I also record those and share them here in my podcast as one of my reality radio episodes. But, well, go back to that D-74. I've only had mine now for a couple of months. I primarily got it because the ability to receive all this stuff, and then with the SD card in it, I can record very nicely without having to have all the wind wind noise and things. And uh, there's so many features on this radio that uh, I, I'm surprised the number of people that have them that don't use all these features, like, for example, the HF uh, sideband stuff. Do you, you yours, use yours for that much? I have used it a little bit, but I don't uh, use it a lot because I've got the HF rig uh, sitting right here. I've got my uh, ICOM 7610 sitting right here, so I don't typically uh, use it for that. But it is uh, an option, and with an external antenna, it works pretty well. I don't have as much luck uh, with the built-in bar antenna on it. Sure. Have you ever used it to receive linear satellites? I have not. I've not tried it for satellite work because, again, I'm pretty well set up here at home with the big rig. The only thing I really can't do with the TS-2000 is SO50 because of the birdie that's in the uh, TS-2000. Sure, sure. Well, I've been using and, mine. I've got, the D, I've got the D71 I can hook up for that if I need to Sure. use our D72, the, uh, I, the uh, Kenwood D72 if I need to do that. And that's full duplex. That's probably the best thing to do for satellites for portable. That's my portable satellite rig. Yeah. Well, I've been listening to the linears using my D74. Uh, at first, I was frustrated because it's only 5 kilohertz uh, step, and I thought, well, I have to wait for them to kind of slide into into uh, the right right area. But then I found out there's a setting on there for fine-tuning. So I can go down to uh, very, very small and just tune up and down and listen to some great sideband audio on that thing. It's it's really a neat radio. Worth the investment. Yeah, and uh, Oh, yeah, and I like having the 220. It's not a real popular band, but there's a group on 220 that uh, makes it worthwhile having that capability out there. And the broadband receiver, I, I use it at uh, air shows to uh, scan like the uh, Thunderbirds frequencies and listen to their performances. And hmm. uh, the Airboss air, air when I'm working at the Houston uh, air show, uh, things of that nature. So it's, I, I use that capability more than the SSB part of it. Cool. Well, do you uh, work with young people at all, getting people interested in the hobby or involved in some uh, clubs that are trying to help grow the hobby? Uh, I'm uh, the two clubs that I'm most active on down here is the uh, Johnson Space Center Club W5RRR, and not a lot of youth outreach there uh, ex- in the way of kids, young kids. But we have uh, NASA interns that come through, uh, college age kids that um, 
have an opportunity to get licensed while they're here and uh, work at the shack. So we, we get a lot of people coming through that way and uh, get at least a taste of it that way. The other group is our uh, Brazoria County uh, Aries group. Uh, I live in Brazoria County and work in Harris County, so side by side. So uh, that one's uh, more public service oriented, not as uh, much outreach, though uh, some of the people in the club do have the uh, ham crams. The uh, one-day sessions where you go through all the question pool and then do the testing at the end of the day that are very successful, uh, usually having um, 97, 98 plus percent pass rate on those. And getting their ticket is the uh, the start to get in. I mean, what, that's their license to learn, as we like to tell them. They're not going to come out of that being uh, hotshot operators, but uh, they're going to at least have the tools they need to get started. Mm-hmm. Well, from what I've been hearing from a lot of people, particularly young people, uh, the way to reach the young generation is with what they've got in their pocket. That's the cell phone. And so mm-hmm. there are a lot of VoIP services like Zello that, uh, in fact, I've been instrumental in trying to get people involved that aren't licensed in the uh, Skywarn program using Zello. There's a lot of great weather channels there. And uh, then rubbing shoulders with amateur radio operators, they can learn more about the hobby and and they get some mentoring and get into uh, groups where they can study together or learn more about how they can get their license. And uh, it's been fairly effective. And I think satellites is another good thing. Uh, seems like kids are interested in space. It's a little bit more intriguing than, you know, sitting in front of a box and uh, just uh, trying to, you know, do HF or Morse code and things. And a lot of the digital things uh, seem to attract people too, letting their computers do the work for them like FT8 and things like that. I'm really into uh, some of the digital technology that's fairly new here. Uh, have you ever heard of DV-Link or DV-Switch? No, not familiar with that one. Really? Oh, you'd be fascinated by this. <laughs> Although maybe you're a purist too. It feels like you have to have a radio, and I know there's a big debate on that. But uh, there's a couple of hams that have put together this platform called DV-Switch, uh, where they do the coding and encoding of the digital modes in software, mostly, except for D-Star, you have to have hardware for that. But uh, like right now, right beside me, I have a Raspberry Pi running a server called DV-Link. You use uh, DV-Switch Mobile as an application on any Android device. So I've got, a, I've got an Android TV box here with my 27-inch flat panel TV running DV switch mobile and with that I can communicate on any DMR group uh, D-Star, P25, NXDN, Fusion without radio and I can put this on my Android phone or my network radio but uh, you know kids can't afford a lot of this fancy equipment but things like these technologies I think if more hams would be open to them and accepting of them that would be a great way to reach young kids. And I'm part of this group called the Yacht, Young Amateurs Communications Ham Team. They basically all use Echolink on their phone. But uh, now with all this stuff that's been coming out in the last couple of years, it is blowing the doors wide open for uh, kids to get involved without spending a lot of money, but meeting people all over the world and learning about all the different facets of amateur radio. You'll have to check that out. Uh, DV Link is the server software that just runs on a Raspberry Pi. It's free. Uh, This particular image that I'm using was developed by a guy in Spain and his team. Uh, The original images came out only in Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish, so it was a nightmare for me. 
but now they've got it set up with a nice menu. You can pick your language, uh, Spanish or English, and go through the menu and set it up in just minutes. And you can even add secondary users to your server, so multiple people could come in and be talking on different DMR networks, different DMR talk groups. It's uh, pretty amazing stuff. So, And that's kind of what we're about, too, here is finding ways to reach this younger generation and get them interested in amateur radio. So I'm surprised you hadn't heard of that yet. I guess we're kind of a small group. Well, I do need uh, have a need for uh, the non-radio ham radio activities because when I go to Russia, I don't take any of my personal radio gear. Hmm. Uh, it's a lot of question marks. They're, they're a sept country, so I'm legal to operate from Russia. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of question marks about taking radios in and out of the country. And I haven't felt like uh, putting my expensive uh, D-74 on the line with taking it into country or not. So I do have two of the dongles, the uh, AMBE dongles, that uh, running uh, Blue DV, I can run D-Star and DMR for my computer. And the newest version that came out has Fusion with that also. Sure. So I've done done that kind of operating from Russia. Yep. So something like that would be very handy. I've done Echolink, though most of the uh, nets are at uh, 4 or 5 in the morning Moscow time, so it's hard to get into my usual uh, repeater nets. But uh, I've done Echolink also from over there. So those type of operating opportunities are certainly something I have a, a need for. So I'll, I'll look into that DV link and uh, see what it looks like. Uh, that's where the uh, Shark Hotspot, the new Shark 3, was interesting to me is that it has the cross-mode capabilities built into it. So you can have just one of the major radios and get into all the systems with it. You don't have to necessarily have three HTs like I do to get into it. Right. Well, you'll be very uh, impressed and pleased with this DV Link. I mean, you set it up at home on a Raspberry Pi and you create an account. And from then on, anywhere you've got Wi-Fi or cell coverage on your Android phone, bring up the app, Mm -hmm. pick whatever mode, whatever reflector, talk group, room, whatever you want to do, and communicate. It is the simplest thing. But you have to be. I can tell I'm going to have to get a Raspberry Pi four because I've got. I just set up my uh, one of my threes. It's got an ADSB receiver on it. I'm running uh, G Predict for the satellites. I've got APRS on it. Um, and about two or three other things. It's got my head-up display here in the shack, and I'm going to start uh, overwhelming it before too long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it runs on the Raspberry Pi 4 now, I understand. I'm running my server on a Raspberry Pi 3B, and it works just great. Um, And I'm out in the country. We've got poor Internet, but anytime I'm out and about, I just take my RT4 with me, and I can connect and talk to all my buddies in all the different groups uh, just wherever I go. It's pretty slick. I've got I've got a Pi with the uh, DV Mega in my truck that uh, I can turn on the hotspot on my phone and uh, have connectivity wherever I am driving down the road with that. Sure. So um, I, I'm not a stranger to Raspberry Pis at all. No, that seems to be a staple for ham radio these days, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's oh, that's one of the neatest tools uh, that they've come up with. Such a powerful computer for such a low input uh, cost to it. And, right. Uh, they've got it's such an experimenter's platform that we've had so many people come up with some really neat ideas for it. Neat. Now you work with this the astronauts that are uh, licensed TAMs, don't you? I do. Do they use any digital up there? 
Uh, do they have internet up there on the international internet's space available there? The it's not connected into the radio systems though. The uh, there's two networks on the station. There's of course the one that's really closed. Uh, that's the operating uh, parameters for the station, uh, and so you don't really hook into that. They do have a um, network, uh, the personal network that uh, they can get on just like you do at home, but it's it's pretty slow, pretty. Uh, uh, not not the best quality, and there hasn't been anybody with that much interest in radio up there to try things like that. Um, I was the deputy for Serena Onan, who came back uh, last December, a year ago in December, and uh, she was quite active in it. And I I like to think I had a big piece in that and getting her interested in it, making contacts. Uh, but we haven't had a lot of hams up there for a while that have really taking a big interest in, in the ham radio as ham radio. They do it for the uh, school contacts. Uh, we've had a few that do some random contacts. Um, Doug Wheelock's another one I've worked with uh, quite a bit that uh, is quite interested. There's a couple of the new guys coming up that uh, will hopefully fly in the near future that have some interest. But it, it's more a peripheral interest. They do it for the educational side of it with school contacts, but they're uh, not that interested in ham radio as ham radio. Sure. Now, there's a whole new radio system that was just put up there. Is it uh, functioning now? Not functioning yet. It is on board. Uh, it has not been installed yet, though. Will that be around the clock APRS type uh, TNC setup? Yeah, it should still have the APRS capability to it. And uh, they don't have a console or anything that they can get on and run packet from up there as uh, from console mode. But uh, the APRS should be uh, functional around the clock. Do you do that with your D74? I have. I've uh, tried it before and uh, bounced the signal off or two, but uh, I haven't done it regularly. Okay. It takes a little bit to figure that out. I'm still... I mean, I can yeah, hear yes. it. I get it on my list. It shows up in my list. I hear others coming in on my list. But to actually make a contact, I've had no success so far. Yeah, you got to set up your uh, pre-programmed statements to make it quicker so you're not typing on the fly. And right. It, it takes some juggling to do it. Yeah, I've tried that. I, I'll continue trying. In fact, the other night here, I saw that the uh, ISS was coming overhead, and it was listed twice in my ISS detector. One of them had this big yellow bar. I thought, what is that? I found out that's when it's visible, and I said, ah, okay. "Hon, come on, let's check check it out." It was like shortly after dusk, and bright as day, this big old thing was going across the sky. That was pretty cool. Oh, it's beautiful to see the. Uh, it, it is just a bright moving object, and it, it's impressive. It's even more fun when you know the people that are up there. Yeah, I'll bet. It must be really exciting for you. Well, that's awesome. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got some other meetings going on today. But uh, this has been a real privilege having you here. And again, thanks for the contact on AO92. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I need to get on and do some more satellite contacts. It's just something I haven't uh, had time to hit a lot of uh, for a while. It, it, satellite has a little bit of or overhead to me as far as setup and running it. So not quite as easy as just flipping on, checking into your <laughs> evening net. So right uh with as crazy as things have been with uh, running the missions now that i'm done with my missions i can kind of sit back and relax and uh, have a little bit more time to do some of the fun stuff and satellites could keep you busy around the clock from looking at my list and i'm putting a bunch of them in there a new one was uh what is it ao88 or have you done that one uh, I haven't done that one. Uh, let's see. The Russians have RS-44 that uh, I have not heard yet. Oh, really? The satellite. 
the sat the status board on AMSAT has shown activity, but I've listened to them a couple of times. I haven't heard anything. That's got a big footprint. I've so heard that it one's on my great D74. To get. That's great because uh, that one I just noticed the pass right before we got on here. Uh, it was a low pass for me. It was to the west, and I could have worked Alaska and Hawaii if anybody had been on there. So the worked all states on satellite is a possibility through that one. But yeah, I have not heard it yet uh, on huh. the couple of time passes I've heard. I've, so, um, I've heard guys working uh-huh. it uh, when it's low in the east. They've actually gotten over into Europe. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And then the Husky Sats up there, um, haven't had any luck with it yet. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying that. The, the re, my next one I want to try hitting is that PO-101 because uh, it just sounded so good the other day. And now I've got my PL tone system worked out, figured out the secret to it, so I can uh, hopefully get into that one next time. Well, let's see. Usually, I get PO one one coming up here around three o'clock. Let's check. Uh, check the list. I've here. got an hour and six minutes till uh, AOS for that one. I and got an hour. Right in the middle minutes. of my meeting, we'll have to we'll have to see if it's uh, busy during the meeting if I can sneak out on it or not. I'll be there. That's the advantage of working from home. Yeah, I can just kind of turn ninety degrees. Uh, <laughs> if I turn to the left, I'm in my office. If I turn to the right, I'm in my shack. Yep, it should be uh, pretty good. It's uh, got pretty high elevation for me, probably for you too. Mine starts in one hour, two minutes. But I'll be on it. I'll uh, look for you. Yeah, I've got a 34-degree elevation, and people were working it down to the horizon. So, uh, yeah, it should be good. I'll listen for you. Yeah, last night I actually did it from horizon to horizon. I kept, uh, because it was quiet, I kept throwing out my call saying what degree I was at. You know, 15 degrees, 10 degrees, 5 degrees, 3 degrees. I actually got down to 1 degree and could still myself i heard you i heard you say that yeah and i just couldn't get back into it because of the pl issue oh you were there listening then yesterday that's right cool yeah i was i was listening to it but uh the ts2000 just has a little weirdness on the uh the way you turn on the pl tones and this is the first weird pl tone everything's been 67 or 74 so it's (laughs) been easy but yeah this one i i finally figured it out wonderful have you got a qsl card I do. I will send you one of mine, and we'll do a contact here at PO101. And, uh, Sounds good. I'm sure you'll sound great. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, God bless you. We will listen for you on the birds. All right, Danny. Sounds good. Uh, thanks for the QSO. You bet. WD9GET. This is K5DCC Echo Mike 36. 73 from WD9GT Echo Lima 29er. 73. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my Extra Class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top-rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them 5 stars. They have more 5-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com.